welcome to the PAXX podcast available on iTunes. This is episode 46 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby and I'm joined by my co-host Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mary. Nice to be talking with you. We've got an exciting episode coming up, I think, uh, an interesting topic. Yes, we're going to be talking about BizAv PAXX Max, which I'm looking forward to. But before we get started, we'd like to thank the Jetliner Cabins ebook app for sponsoring this week's podcast. When you're enjoying an in-flight meal or movie high above the earth, have you ever wondered about the level of thinking that has gone into your immediate living space? The contour seatback and supporting headrest, the safety provisions, the mood lighting, the meticulous selection of sound absorbent material calibrated to block intrusive noise frequencies. Jetliner Cabins is the story of how scientists, designers, engineers, maintenance, and marketing specialists have transformed the stark tubular interiors of typical airliners into unique settings, each with their own defined look, ambiance, and personality. This ebook app invites readers to explore the expertise, discover the details, and enjoy the fascinating world of Jetliner Cabins. Visit jetlinercabins.com to learn more and to download the app. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today. Paul Eden has been editing and writing for aerospace publications since 1996. He writes for Aircraft Cabin Management, Airliner World, Aerospace, the Journal of the Royal Aeronautical Society, Aerospace Testing International, and Business Jet Interiors International. He also edits for Aviation News and several book publishers, and Paul is contributing editor of the acclaimed Royal Air Force Official Annual Review and Royal Air Force Salute, and he finds time to write for Romeo Girl Network on occasion. Paul, thank you. Uh, that's quite a lineup. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much it's great to be here well it's great to be talking with you but let's get started right away and look at some of the paxx news stories making headlines first gulfstream aerospace's impressive fully outfitted g500 test aircraft made its debut recently at the e-base business aviation show in geneva paul we're seeing great reports about this aircraft but you had a chance to see it firsthand what were your impressions I already knew that Gulfstream had invested in a suite of labs for the G500. Uh, by mid-April, they'd done 60,000 hours of testing just on the cabin alone. Uh, and so I approached it thinking, um, this will make no difference. This is going to look like every other business jet I've ever stepped inside. And it really didn't. There's just something very special about the G500, something very detailed, very welcoming about it and as soon as you sit in those seats you just don't want to leave it's just a place that welcomes you and invites you to stay i was really hugely impressed paul i mean am i right in saying that kind of Gulfstream's line of long range jets are kind of synonymous with they're like the pinnacle of luxury in business aviation uh, air travel is that fair to say it is fair to say that i think um there's something about Gulfstream that's very special. I think it's in the heritage. It's just in the it's just in the look. You know, in a kind of off the record kind of conversation, I was talking to someone who said this is a heritage that goes right back to Grumman. It goes right back to those carrier fighters, uh, and it's something that's in the jet's DNA. Um, and you, you do expect these cabins to be quite special. You expect them to be luxurious, of course. But the G500 is just that little bit more special. You do feel it's a very, very exciting, comforting place to be. Um, you know, you've got all the regular regular equipment there. You've got the IFE, you've got the cabin management. But there's just something imperceptibly different. 
and it's fast too, right? It's uh, faster than the G450 that it replaces, uh, but it also can fly farther with the same fuel burn. And I understand they've recently flown a couple of city pair records uh, at Mach 0.90, pretty fast. Indeed. So, yeah, it's a high-speed cruise at Mark 0.9. The jet will actually reach 0.925. And if you want to go just that little bit slower at 0.85, you can do 5,000 nautical miles with eight passengers on board. Um, The jet will take 19. That's pretty unusual. Eight, even eight is quite a large load for this type of aircraft. But it's it's a cabin and it's an equipment level that suits a 5,000 nautical mile range airplane. Um, And it's... It's an aircraft that people are really going to be impressed by as soon as it enters service, I think. Paul, um, you know, the business aviation sector has had some uh, softer years, shall we say, yeah. uh, yes. including the, uh, <laughs> uh, and I recall a Honeywell uh, forecast last year that uh, said that things aren't really going to recover for a while. Um, mm. And of course, that includes the large executive jet market. But Gulfstream seems to kind of buck the odds and trends here. They still do well. Is it? Be, I mean, you know, I have to say, I don't travel in biz jets very often uh, unless something surprising happens and I get a kind of a random invite, you know, but uh, it's, it's rare. It's rare. Yeah. Um, but what is it that Gulfstream is kind of doing that is enabling it to kind of thrive in a downturn, really? I think they have um, a very loyal customer base. I think their customers return. They start thinking several years in advance, what will we do next? What's Gulfstream going to do next? Uh, And I think perhaps Gulfstream's strongest point is that it seems not to disappoint. It listens to its customers. It makes sure it does things when it says it's going to do things. Um, And when the technology emerges, it always pushes just that little bit further. I mean, with with the G500 and the G600, its it's sister ship, I know that they had um, customer advisory boards and advanced technology customer advisory teams working inside the labs with the cabin Inputting at levels, for example, the stitching on the seats, there was a preference for different types of stitching. Uh, And Gulfstream have listened to that and they have implemented that. So when customers get the jet, they get the jet exactly as they wanted it. And I think that's very important to them. Now, Paul, being the former engine guy, of course, I have to, I have to mention that uh, the, the G500, as well as the G600, are to be powered by the Pratt & Whitney Canada PW800 engine series these are based on the the geared turbofan core of course without the gear mm. uh, it, was there much interest at ebase concerning the engines or was everybody more concerned about the interior you know i think uh, what immediately impresses is the interior i think um certainly gulfstream were keen in in their press briefing to mention that this was the the, the core from the uh, the geared turbofan um mm. I'm not entirely sure how much people took notice of that, but it's certainly going to make a big difference in terms of emissions, fuel efficiency, and achieving that range and speed. And you know what? Those necessarily do look good on that aircraft. They really do fit (laughs) it. And again, in a business where sometimes ramp presence is quite important, you want your jet to look cool, and it really does. Ramp presence, um, i.e., Looking the part, is that what that means? Absolutely that, looking the part, especially (laughs) if other people are parked alongside. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm trying to think of what the uh, Pax X uh, equivalent would be of ramp presence. Uh, you know, I don't know, um, uh, Nerd X or, uh, you know, Avgeek X or something like that. Right. Pe- right. Perhaps we need to start hashtag ramp presence. I think it's, yeah. it's got. <laughs> I, I love that idea, you know. Plus, there's some A380s that we've been. Uh, discussing online about whether or not we couldn't turn it into like a nav geek plane that would give us some ramp presence guys <laughs> i think so <laughs> that's, that's right yes that's right yeah and of course the, the g500 had a great color scheme as well mm. it it stood out from the other gulf streams because of the way it was painted when is first delivery end of 2017 gulf stream said december this year they'll be delivering the first g500 first g600 december next year and I guess we should mention also, didn't they do a special flight recently? Uh, they, repri- they reprised uh, Charles Lindbergh's historic transatlantic crossing on the they 90th did. anniversary, right? Yeah, I believe what happened was they flew from Savannah. They overflew New York and then carried on to land at Le Bourget. Oh, um, uh, and I think they beat Lindbergh by, uh, by quite some margin. Uh, yes, I think that the uh, Lindbergh flight was 33 and a half hours. And the G500 flight was six hours and 21 minutes. So, yeah, beat it by quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely that. Well, the Embraer Lineage 1000E was also on display at eBase. And I think this one wowed our guest, Paul. But I understand some (laughs) unique design concepts were developed for this jet. Paul, what can you tell us about them? Well, you know, the the Lineage on display was, uh, was a... A fairly standard Embraer demonstrator. It still, nonetheless, impresses because it is, in subtle ways, quite different to to the norm. Uh, I mean, the the immediate example I have is is you walk up the steps into the into the forward cabin. Uh, normally, you'd be greeted there by you know left turn to the cockpit, right turn down a little bit of a narrow passageway through the galley into the the main living area. Um, Embraer has a couch. You get to the top there, you can take a seat if you so desire. There's a nice couch. There's a little stand and chat to three or four friends kind of area which is immediately different but they have a number of uh, quite wacky design concepts for that airplane where they've taken the space and uh, Embraer are quite free thinking in their design and they've just said what can we do and they're thinking panoramic windows they're thinking very tall windows they're even thinking design concepts perhaps for Japanese customers who might want to sit on the floor so they've lowered the windows they 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 say however wacky their design concepts are, they could actually build them. They're all based on real airworthiness requirements, and you could have the jet exactly as in the concept if you wished. I love the names of these concepts or these themes, too. There's the Sky Yacht 1, Kyoto Airship, Sky Ranch 1, the Manhattan, and the Hollywood. And they just, without even seeing those interiors, they just sort of evoke images. It's it's kind of an interesting approach to this. It is. It is. And really those, I don't think anybody would ever purchase a jet configured exactly like any of those concepts. But I think what they do is present a series of radical concepts that you really would never think of uh, and just say, you can choose from this. You can do this. You can have something similar to this. Or, you know, you can tell us what you want and we'll go away and we'll think about it and come back with something like this. If you want a mixture of, I don't know, Harley Davidson and Wild West. Yeah, we can go and do that for you. Anything's possible as far as Embraer is concerned. I've got to read one of the descriptions here from Manhattan out of 
Boat International um, that I found interesting. The Manhattan features a classic gentleman's club style interior <laughs> with art deco influences. The Manhattan is equal parts sophistication and fun. On entry, guests are met with a stunning metal mural of Manhattan inspired by that found in the Empire State Building before discovering an opulent space decked out in mahogany, brass, and leather. That sounds like quite a space. <laughs> Did, were any of these actual interiors on display, um, on static, or were they just kind of were the concepts just shared with with visitors? They are concepts. Which, okay. um, if you're if you're happy enough to to catch um, Embraer's vice president of interior design, Jay, he will quite happily and extensively take out his iPad and whisk you through these concepts uh, with some glee. It has to be said. Um, he is um, extremely proud, I think, of what his his team produces and very, very keen to share. So, you know, they're all there and they could all be done if you wanted them. Hmm. Well, this is a large uh, jet, right? This is not your uh, probably your first biz jet. It's based on the Embraer 190 regional jet. Uh, yes. And we're talking about what seating up to about 19 passengers. Uh, are we, Paul? Yeah, I think probably just a few more. Again, in theory, I doubt you would ever place so many passengers in there but i think probably up to about 21 22 would, would be the maximum um for a for a decent comfortable long-range flight paul i know we're gonna talk about uh connectivity here for our next mm. topic but one of the uh headlines that came out actually uh, with several publications during ebay ebay is the fact that the embraer uh, lineage 1000 e's uh plan to get connected with the mrsat a JetWave KA band connectivity solution. There was a lot of headlines about that, um, yeah. it, it, which is great. It's it's kind of great to see that these uh, these airframers are kind of going with line fit options for for their aircraft um, in terms of high speed broadband connectivity. It's important to passengers in the commercial space. Um, does that give the lineage a, a, a little bump up, or are you seeing them kind of all going in that direction where they're all starting now to offer broadband? I think they are hurrying in that direction as fast <laughs> as they possibly can. Uh, I, I think it's a marketplace where you can't afford not to offer something so fundamental. Um, I think perhaps um, the larger business jets, those those jet wave antennas have been going on there for a while now. Um, I believe the first was installed possibly on an A340, but things like BBJs, ACJs, they're big enough to take those those big antennas. Perhaps what's more significant for Inmar, Saturn, Honeywell uh, is that these antennas are now line fit on some of the smaller jets, the Gulfstreams, Bombay's, and very soon Dasso as well. That's where they're seeing the big extension in the marketplace. Well, Paul, when you were on the ground at eBase and looking around at this connectivity issue, I guess you learned from some sources that some L-band capacity is being freed up for these uh, smaller BizJet platforms. Uh, again, you mentioned uh, Inmarsat's uh, Jet Connects and uh, the, the role that Honeywell plays in there as well. So are we expecting then a gradual or maybe even a sudden uh, boost in in-flight connectivity for the smaller business jet aircraft? I will be seeing it quite quickly. Um, you know, there are several jets already equipped for L-band connectivity. Uh, those will already be seeing uh, better coverage. But um, Inmarsat themselves told me that they are um, looking to 
lower prices on hardware and service so that smaller jet operators can take this L-band connectivity because, of course, in the past, they perhaps thought this would be a great thing to have. Prices were a little higher. They thought, okay, we'll stick with nothing. Now, L-band, let's not forget, L-band was always quite a good service. KA-band is obviously much better, but L-band was always good. L-band is far, far better than nothing. And Inmarsat are even saying, we think we can get the hardware onto a PC-12, for example. So you can have a single turboprop with L-band connectivity. That's exactly the marketplace they want to find themselves in. Uh, and I think um, their, subs- their, their future satellite program is reflecting that in that they, they have four of the KA-band satellites in orbit now, which is essentially their full network. To future-proof that, they get capacity demand. They're launching two more of their I-6 satellites in 2020. These will have dual payloads, one of which will be an L-band payload, replacing two of the existing L-band satellites. So they're completely future-proofing themselves for L-band as well. Yeah, it's great, uh, Paul, to see some of these smaller aircraft, um, if they already have L-band, being able to now have more capacity mm. as some of the larger jets move to KA. That's, gr- that's great because I remember being on actually uh, on the ground on a smaller aircraft that had L-band and uh, wanting a little bit of a better service. You know, you get kind of a baseline connectivity, but it is low bandwidth, isn't it? So any extra capacity you can throw at these uh, at these kind of smaller aircraft that have L-band uh, is going to really improve the passenger experience on those small aircraft. Absolutely that. And I think we have to bear in mind as well, the way the business aviation market works is that um, often operators of smaller aircraft, let's say a single turboprop, they will fly that for one or two years, maybe maybe five uh, they will see their productivity increase because before they were on the train, they were in the car, they went to the small turboprop, they could get to more meetings per week. Their productivity increased. Their desire to be productive increases with their rate of productivity. So then they think, actually, we should have an entry-level jet. So they'll progress to the jet. And then they'll progress to a larger jet five years later and so on. And connectivity is so fundamental to their business all the way through. This just helps the industry as a whole. Are the price points that we're seeing for this connectivity, Paul, um, attractive or high price? What does the market think about the cost of putting in high-speed connectivity? This is the business aviation market where frequently uh, it's the cost of not having high-speed connectivity that they would be more concerned about than the cost of actually installing it. Um, certainly corporations will be very careful about their budgets. There are individual owners who really wouldn't. But I think everything in business aviation is is very closely monitored, very carefully assessed. Um, the the OEMs, the, the installers, they're very carefully watched as well. And I think that they make sure that their pricing is pitched where it's acceptable to the business as a whole. Paul, I got the opportunity to tour some of Qatar Airways um, business aircraft years ago in Doha. And um, I remember the flight attendant giving us kind of a tour of a beautiful, you know, opulent aircraft and Mm. uh, saying, now over here is the Swift 64 box. And we only turn that on when we absolutely have to, because at the time, the cost of that bandwidth was so mm. expensive and i found it interesting uh, kind of an interesting point that even qatar airways was paying attention to its connectivity bill so i guess you know as these kind of more efficient broadband pipes come to these larger aircraft 
the cost point must be getting better to the point where they're able to say, okay, we're able to turn it on. <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. I think as well, though, operators are now able to control who's accessing that connectivity and what they're doing with it far better as well. So yeah. they have they have a far greater impression of what it is that they're using and when. Uh, so the bills don't always come as such a surprise. Was there anything else on static, Paul, that we should know about from this show? I mean, you know, it's one of these, it's it's one of the big ones, isn't it, in business aviation. That, eBase and NBAA, they're kind of the, the big events of the year on the calendar for the business aviation sector, right? Absolutely that. They are. They are the major shows. Um, I think, uh, you know, the static was... Um, it was very hot out there. It was difficult to go out there and concentrate on what you were doing. But thinking back, the uh, the newly completed BBJ demonstrator was particularly impressive, both on the outside and the inside. Um, Gulfstream's lineup of four jets, that impressed. Nicely placed alongside Bombardier's lineup, which which was, which was also very nice to see. Um, and of course, there are a couple of piston engine airplanes in there as well a couple of turboprops pc12 and the piaggio were there and i think my impression was this was a more comprehensive more um more confident display than last year's and people were walking around in the static and the halls and they were using optimistic terms although no one was actually very willing to put into words why they were optimistic it was more more of a feeling um and that static just looked beautiful it just said um we're confident for the future you think we'll uh, we'll see a turnaround here in the coming years? Your own crystal ball? <laughs> you know, my, my crystal ball is only based on what the experts tell me. And my crystal ball says, absolutely. I think um, somewhere in the next two to five years, I think we're going to see a turnaround in business aviation. I suspect it will never return to its previous peak. But I do see uh, lots of lots of people who ought to know saying, yeah, we're going to sell more jets. We're going to do more connectivity. We're going to see uh, operators expanding more charters so yeah I'm, I'm quite confident um, from a PAXX perspective I know that stakeholders in the industry whether it's in-flight entertainment connectivity or you know the interior side um, they're saying that for the operators that are kind of holding on to their jets a little bit longer kind of during yeah. this this kind of weaker period yeah. uh, what they are doing is then um, essentially enhancing or modifying their interiors and upgrading in that regard so they might not be buying the new Gulfstream immediately yeah. but you know they're doing the upgrades nonetheless which is good news for the stakeholders that we cover a lot on Roma Girl Network. Absolutely that. There's enormous scope for cabin refurbishment. I mean, refurbishment has always been a big part of the business aviation industry, but now people are keeping, well, they might have kept a jet 10 years. Now they're thinking maybe they'll keep it 15, five years, maybe 10. Um, and when that jet goes in for maintenance, uh, especially if it's a check where the cabin's coming out anyway, they are thinking, well, let's refurbish or replace that cabin with the latest IFE connectivity, new seats, uh, probably new finishes for the walls, new carpets. And yeah, you're right, that's good news because um, there are lots of companies out there doing this, in some cases, very fine craftsmanship. Uh, and this is just an expanding market for them and probably will be for another five or 10 years as well. Great. 
Well, we're rapidly coming to a close. Uh, we'd like to thank our listeners. Remember, you can find us online at RunwayGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at, at @RunwayGirl, And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We'd absolutely love to have you. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, the Jetliner Cabins ebook app. And I'd like to thank Paul for being our guest. Paul, where can listeners find you at? They'll find me on Twitter, where I'm at Two Drones, and they'll also find me on LinkedIn. All right. Thank you so much, Paul. And we'll ask all of you to join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.